Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host Viz. I want to welcome all of you guys joining me tonight. Hope you could spend the next hour with us. If you are visiting us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit us on our website at deadtalklive.com. And as always, please visit our YouTube channel, which is called Dead Talk Live. Feel free to go ahead and subscribe. And if you're there right now, it'd be much appreciated if you guys hit the thumbs up button on this broadcast. So I want to welcome some of our, I see a lot of our regulars are in tonight. Welcome to Khaleesi. Saz, of course, is moderating. Uh, Emir is with us on YouTube. Lindsay Sparks is with us from Canada on Facebook. Dial Nichols is with us on Instagram. IG is with us. Chicken is with us. Andrew Primer is with us on Instagram. Welcome, welcome all you guys on Instagram. Louise has just joined us. I hope you're enjoying your Wednesday evening. And we got another video treat. We got a video submission from one of our great, great contributors, uh, Thais Byros. It's a Rick Grimes tribute, and it's called Dangerous. Uh, so let's not waste any time, guys. Let's just go ahead and check it out. Here it is. Automatic weapons, nice scope. There's a compound bow and a machete with a red, red handle. That's what I'm going to use to kill you. This is how it's going to be. This is what you think of me. It's going down like I told you. This is how it's going to be. I'll be the last man standing here. I'm not going anywhere. It's going down like I told you. I'll be the last man standing here. I'm gonna rock you. I'm gonna rock you. I'm gonna rock you. I'll have you begging for mercy, begging for mercy. Begging for mercy, oh. 
kick ass, right, guys? I'm always a little hesitant. I was hesitant. I gotta admit, I was hesitant. I don't think Summer is with us. Anytime there's a clip of Rick taking off his shirt, but I don't think she's with us yet. So, <laughs> that was a premiere. I have not posted that on any of our social media yet. Uh, I can tell by the love hearts coming up on Instagram and all the chats on uh, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You guys enjoyed it. Awesome video. Thank you so much, Dice, for uh, submitting that to us. Again, that was a premiere. It has not been posted on any of our social media as of yet. Uh, we'll be posting it either later on tonight or tomorrow at the latest so you guys can watch it over and over and over again. Um, Saz writes, I'm here on Summer's behalf. Oops, no. no I don't, Summer's not here. We're safe. She might come in a little later, but I think we're safe for now. That's why I played that video really quickly. As soon as we started, I wanted to play that video. I knew that scene was coming up, and, you know, I didn't want to get uh, Summer all riled up. So anyway, let's get started with some headlines here, okay? So, Walking Dead star addresses the likelihood of a Negan spinoff show. The Walking Dead is coming to an end with its 11th season. Man, have we heard that over and over and over again. But the franchise is continuing with new spinoffs focusing on characters like Norman, Reedus's Daryl. One of the most popular characters from The Walking Dead is Batty Negan. With his leather jacket and famous baseball bat Lucille, perhaps being more well known than anything else from the show. You don't see Tara turning the, the Tekken into what we're saying, so it's not beyond the realms of possibility to think that the producers would want to greenlight a show just for Negan. But what does the actor Jeffrey Dean Morgan think? He goes on to say, we shall see. He told a fan on Twitter, I'd like to see No Doors Are Closed, a great character with so many stories to tell, but again, much still to do here on The Walking Dead. Many episodes still to shoot, Right now, I'm just excited about that. Not only is there a, an 11th and final season of The Walking Dead left to make, but season 10 has been extended beyond its finale with an extra handful of episodes. So, uh, how many times have I said this? Some people call it season 10. Other people are calling it season 11. I don't know. I guess these writers just can't wrap their mind around a group of episodes not being tied to any seasons. It's not season 10. It's not season 11. It's just six bonus episodes. Maybe one day, you know, one article, one person is going to stand up and say that. We shall wait and see. It goes on to finish saying, while the last was delayed because of the COVID pandemic, it was the episode that was originally intended to be the season finale. So the six new episodes are being counted as season 11. <laughs> they just said it's season 10. And they just reversed course at, on the next paragraph and called it season 11. It's amazing. You can't make this stuff up. You really can't. Oh, man. I know. So Zachary's asking about season 10 on Netflix. Guys, I have no idea. I really don't. We read an article over the summer that season 10 was supposed to be coming out on Netflix in October. 
Well, October has come and gone, and still no season 10 on Netflix. So I have no idea what to tell you. Is it a Netflix issue? Is it a Walking Dead issue? I have no idea. I don't think it's a Walking Dead issue. I don't know why Netflix is holding it up. Maybe it is uh, an AMC Walking Dead issue. I don't know. But I'm sure if we really dig deep and find out, it has something to do over licensing. It's, it comes down to the same thing. Licensing, money, distribution, and a whole bunch of stuff as we as fans don't really care about. All we care about is when is season 10 going to come to Netflix for all the people that have not watched it yet. And there are a lot of people around the world that are just waiting for season 10 to come on Netflix just so they can watch it. So I wish I had news. I wish I had a date. I apologize, even though it's not my fault, but I just don't know. I really, really don't know. Uh, Khaleesi writes, I haven't seen anything on it recently. Neither have I. Cat is with us. Welcome, Cat. We'll find out which season the extra episodes when they are released on DVD. I would think they would be included on one of them. Do people still buy DVDs and Blu-rays in the digital age uh, where, you know, services like Fandango Now, you've got Vudu, Netflix, of course, Amazon, Hulu. Do people actually still buy DVDs? I can tell you this for sure. There is not a single DVD Blu-ray in my house. Oh, we had a lot, but we're a digital family. <laughs> we like having access to all of our movies, and we have quite a collection uh, that has been accumulated over the years, and they're all on uh, digital. So whether... We're in front of our TV or on the road, on our mobile devices. We don't need a damn stinking DVD to watch it. You can just, you know, open open the app, uh, turn on your TV, find what you're looking for, and hit play. God, I can't even remember. That's the same thing with games these days. I mean, games are just downloadable. I'm talking about the PlayStation, Xbox, your computer, I can't remember the last time I actually even held a CD, DVD, or Blu-ray. It's been that long since I've actually even held one. Summer has joined us. Summer, your timing is perfect. Perfect. I've got you down pat. I know exactly when you're going to show up, Summer. And we played a video that I specifically did not want you to see. So there you go. Welcome to summer. Uh, want to welcome some of the people joining us on Instagram. Welcome to all you guys. Fears is with us. Roger has joined us. Like I said, Summer has joined us on. Uh, where is Summer today? Is she on YouTube? Yeah, she's on YouTube. Stone Walker has just joined us. CC Weezy is with us. Lindsay Sparks writes, I'm a collector of DVDs and anything with movies. Oh, God, you guys are not even going to remember this. Well, the majority of you are not. I remember back in the day when everything was being switched over from VHS, and a lot of you have asked me, what the hell is VHS, over to, to DVD 
and then eventually over to Blu-ray. And I was so excited the day that we went out and we got our first DVD player. I'm like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> Man, have times have changed. And it's not that damn long ago either. Uh, Stone Walker writes, I've got over 500 DVDs. Summer writes, Viz, they'll make me call you. <laughs> Khaleesi writes, I still have some VHS tapes. Oh, God. I, I don't even want to ask if anybody here actually remembers what VHS tapes are. You know, in the battle way back in the day, the battle between the VHS tape and Betamax. VHS won that out. Same battle happened with the Blu-ray. It was Blu-ray and DVD HD, I think. Uh, Blu-ray, which is owned by Sony, I believe, and the other one, the HD. Big battle, okay? Same HD. It was just slightly different formats, and Blu-ray was the winner. At the end of the day, I guess it could only be one winner. Uh, Fears writes, DVDs are nostalgic. They are. They are. All right. Let's go on to our next article. Fear the Walking Dead star Jenna Elfman discusses brutal twist in latest episode. So let's see what Jenna Elfman has to say about us screaming at the TV for June to let Virginia die, but instead she let her live. The sixth episode of the show, sixth season, titled Bury Her Next to Jasper's Leg, aired this past Sunday. In the episode, Elfman's character, June, clashes with, with Virginia after a massive explosion in the oil fields. Virginia is bitten on the hand and begs June to cut it off. After contemplating the idea of letting her die, she ends up saving her life in order to stop a virus spreading. In return, she asks for a hospital to be built to help save more lives. Now, we discussed this yesterday. I know you guys were like me if you were watching Fear, and you guys either you were saying it inside or actually yelling at the TV to let her die, even though deep down inside we knew that she was going to eventually end up chopping off that hand. But you know what? You got to give Virginia some credit. She's a badass. Most people, you know, they're bit. Just the idea, even though if you're bit and you know you're going to die, Getting your hand chopped off is not like, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. It's, it's You're still kind of hesitant because, you know, the mind is like, yeah, okay. It, it hasn't have time to actually set in that if you don't do anything, you're going to die within 24 hours or less. But she was all at it, man. She's like, chop this, chop this baby off. She was going to do it herself. In an interview with Digital Spy, Elfman has opened up on her feelings about the huge plot twist. I think June recognizes that a lot more could be accomplished right now by making this choice, she said. And also, it shows that June still has empathy for humanity, and that is the way of her and John, to be empathetic and to help. More so June than John at this point. And Morgan, of course, who launched this whole thing of saving people. Elfman added, I think it was in that vein of honoring that and trying to give people opportunities to change and do the right thing. And when you save someone's life, 
in this world, you get a big upper hand there. It's hard to get an upper hand over Virginia, and she has all the resources, so it adds value that June may be able to use the help of the group while being empathetic and showing mercy. Now we know in that moment of weakness, Virginia promised to build June a hospital and everything else, and we talked about it yesterday. You know, don't expect no John Hopkins being built or anything close to that. But still, how many of you guys out there think that either A, Virginia's going to change her mind, which is very likely uh, after the, the day's events have set in, or B, when, you know, June thinks that Virginia owes her, how many people actually feel that Virginia's going to think that way, that she owes June a favor? I don't know. I don't think so. We got to wait and find out. Uh, Lindsay Spark writes, oh yeah, I was yelling at the TV watching Fear the Walking Dead. Want to welcome Sonia, who has joined us. Aristio has also joined us on YouTube. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, let's see uh, what's going on on Instagrams. On Instagram, Instagram, break the limits, right? But in season 10, there are things where it's seen that Rick is back. Nope. Sorry. I don't follow that. There is no part of season 10 that I remember that indicated anything whatsoever that Rick was back on the TV show. Don't see it. Uh, if you're talking about any specific scene that we might have missed, please call it out because I definitely do not remember that. Uh, the next time we're going to see Rick Grimes, guys, is going to be in the movies. That's the next time we're going to see Rick Grimes. Rick Grimes is not going to be seen in World Beyond. Rick Grimes is not going to be seen on The Walking Dead. Rick Grimes is most definitely not going to be seen on Fear of the Walking Dead. The next time... We are going to see the character of Rick Grimes is going to be at the very start, or hopefully the very start of the movie that's going to come out with him. All right, moving on to the next article. Fear of the Walking Dead is having its best season ever. Yeah, without question. They are having the best season ever. Not even a close second anywhere near. In a franchise known for crazy twists, the most improbable turn of events may be happening right before our eyes. By the time Fear the Walking Dead finished Season 5, back in September of 2019, many fans of the zombie spinoff were frustrated. There were complaints about the plot and the pacing. Many felt a general lack of propulsion from what they saw on the screen, with a central lack of tension leading to what felt like lower stakes. Critics gave the season only a 55% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The score from fans was even worse at 43%. But then something funny happened on the way to what many predicted would be the pop culture irrelevance. Fear the Walking Dead became must-see TV. It did, and it started right off the bat with the very first episode of this season. The move in season five finale to split up the group and then focus the first half of season six on deeper dives in indivi into individual characters 
has played huge dramatic dividends, giving viewers not only the best season yet of Fear the Walking Dead, current critics and fan scores on Rotten Tomatoes are at 86 and 85% respectively, the highest ever for the show, but one of the best stretches for any season of any Walking Dead uh, series. And that backs up what I've said, that this current season of Fear the Walking Dead, I would put it up against any season of The Walking Dead proper. You know, the mother show. That's how good it is. That's how good it is. Yeah, people are still going to write, find stuff to bitch about. Like the article we read yesterday about this last episode, which was great. I didn't see anything wrong with uh, last Sunday's episode. But, man, I mean, now, think of it. You are a big Walking Dead fan, okay? For many years now. you, When Fear came out over six years ago, you gave it a chance, okay? Depending on how big of a chance you gave it is up to you. But you gave up on it. You gave up on it, all right? Now, let's say you're hearing about, damn, this current season of Fear the Walking Dead is the real deal. They've definitely bumped it up a notch. So, what do you do? Do you go back where you left off and binge watch all the way up to season, you know, to where we are now? Or, since we have lost, this is this is a question. This is an interesting question, okay? Because we have lost a majority of the original cast except for three, okay? So what point would you guys say if they don't want to watch all the previous seasons? One, two, three, whatever, four, five. Where would you say, okay, start here and work your way up? For me, if I came across someone who's just not willing to go back where they stopped or not even willing to start from the beginning, I would tell them, start with season four, because that's when we get introduced to the characters that we have now, okay? Uh, The big characters that we have now. Uh, Four, five are better then three, I liked season two, honestly. I really did like season two, especially the second half of season two of Fear the Walking Dead. But I would tell them, go back, start at four, and because those are the characters that we have today. If you're not willing to watch one, two, and three, but you really want to start watching because everybody's raving about season six, you can't just go straight into season six. Because you're not going to know anybody. Yeah, you're going to know Morgan. And if you watched every episode of The Walking Dead, yeah, you'll know who Dwight is. You'll know who Sherry is. But beyond that, you'll be completely lost. First question you're going to be asking yourself is, what the hell is Morgan doing on Fear the Walking Dead? But I would say four. You got to start at least at season four. That's when they revamped everything brought in, you know, a whole new behind-the-scenes crew, new writers, everything. They, they changed it up, uh, and it was two years in the making, building, building, and building to get to where we are today. And right now, we're in the middle of a fantastic, fantastic season of Fear the Walking Dead. 
uh, summer. It's like, ooh, my mouth is watering. Rick Grimes is dangerous daddy, my goodness. Ooh, we he is. Oh, Summer, you cheated. Did you go back and watch the video? Damn YouTube and their DVR function. You went back and watched the video, didn't you? Khaleesi writes season four, I agree. Summer writes, girl, that video gave me all the feels. Okay, Summer, calm down. Let's continue on with the article. So how did showrunners Ian Goldberg and Andrew Shambliss, along with The Walking Dead chief content officer Scott M. Gimple, do it? Not only have they gone with a less is more approach in terms of the number of characters we follow each week, but they have tested uh, the characters mentally, physically, emotionally, and ethically like never before. And that has led to a boldness of action that has proved irresistible. Now, guys, I'm going to say something. This is my opinion. But when you read uh, about Fear the Walking Dead, you hear a lot about Ian and Andrew. They're the showrunners. Uh, credit. Give credit where credit is due. They deserve a lot of credit. One person that does not get mentioned in these articles, who went over at the same time as Ian, as Andrew, as Morgan, is Michael Satrazimus, who is an executive producer of Fear the Walking Dead. And it really bugs me that they don't mention his name because he is a huge reason. He is a huge part to the success that the show is facing today and it bugs me it really bugs me like i said ian andrew of course they're the showrunners give them credit where credit is due but man michael satrazimus should be listed right alongside them not only is he an executive producer he is a director okay uh he has been with the walking dead universe since day one um, and started out as a camera operator, moved on to director of photography, directed his very first episode of The Walking Dead, which is The Grove, the iconic episode where Carol has to kill Lizzie, the Look at the Flowers episode. And, man, going beyond that, him and Greg Nicotero were like flip-flopping finales and premieres directing that's how amazing he is behind the camera and how amazing he is as an executive producer. So it really bugs me that they don't mention his name alongside Ian, Andrew, but they bring in Scott. And Scott is the chief content officer. You got to give him credit. He's the guy who oversees the entire Walking Dead franchise. But these writers, they need to get their facts straight, Okay. Ian, Andrew, and Michael Satrazimus. Anyway, if it is not Morgan shockingly beheading a bounty hunter and sticking his head in a box as a message to his adversary, then it is Strand straight up murdering one innocent and then hastening the execution of another to protect those that he cares about. If Dwight is not leaving the love of his life he crossed the country to find shortly after being reunited, it is John Dory driving away from his wife because he can't take 
what he has become in his current setup. And then there is June, who, when push came to shove, refused to save a dying Virginia by chopping off her hand uh, from a zombie bite, only then to shove right back by negotiating a new hospital out of her change of heart when she did chop off her hand. While fear has continued to lean into its classic, classic Western vibe, it has also taken inspiration from specific films that has led to fantastic genre-busting results. Althea and Dwight's fight through the bubonic plague and zombie-infested office building in the episode Alaska was an homage to Die Hard. John Dory's murder mystery in The Key was Chinatown in the zombie apocalypse. And the most recent installment, Bury Her Next to Jasper's Leg, was an oil-based epic on par with There Will Be Blood. I'm trying to figure out the Die Hard, okay, and the bubonic plague. I guess the only comparison I see is Die Hard. They're talking about the original Die Hard with Bruce Willis. Great movie, if you guys have not watched it. Uh, yeah, that took place in a big skyscraper in Los Angeles. Other than that, I really don't see any other comparison. But yeah, okay. Uh, Ian Goldberg, it's something that we talk about a lot, but it is really true. Our goal when we start any season of the show is to reinvent and to keep it fresh. And we certainly did that between seasons five and six. And where it starts from is the emotional stories. Season five was an unusually bright and optimistic and kind of benevolent vibe that was happening between our characters. They were uniting behind the shared philosophy of helping people out in the world. They were sort of masters of their own domain. And whether that was something that spoke to you as an audience member, that was very much the intention there, was to tell the story that was a hopeful and optimistic one. And by the same token, by the end of the season, the goal was to sort of rip the rug out from everybody. And that started to happen when we, we, when we introduced Virginia and her group of pioneers and really kind of had a, a finer point on it in the finale when Morgan was shot and everyone was separated from each other. And we could all see that coming, you know. Logan was not really an I mean, yeah, he was he was a prick. Logan was a prick, but he was not the the bad guy uh, that we have come to know in the Walking Dead universe, you know, the Negans, the governors, and so on. He had a motive, and we find out in the end his motive was that he was working for Virginia. And when he did not fulfill uh, his promise to her, or when she noticed that he was flipping over to Morgan's side and uh, June and all their side of how to go back to helping people, which was the person he was before he met Virginia, she uh, killed them all right there on the spot. Took them all out in the oil fields. And that's when we are, you know, 
introduced to the character of Virginia. So want to welcome late Mike, who has just joined us on uh, YouTube. Little Phil is with us. Uh, Little Phil wants to know, we are talking about The Walking Dead, right? Not Fear or World Beyond. We are, listen, guys, we talk about everything horror-related on this show. We are branching out, but yeah, we talk about all three Walking Dead shows. We are branching out. We are going to start bringing in a lot more horror guests that have never been on any Walking Dead show. We are expanding our reach. Uh, You know, we have been building this show up now for seven months. And it's amazing the amount of connections we have made. And we are just branching out. Uh, Yeah, we're going to be talking about The Walking Dead. We're going to be talking about Fear of the Walking Dead. We're going to be talking about World Beyond. We're going to be talking about uh, horror movies. We're going to be bringing in horror guests that are not associated with The Walking Dead in any way uh, whatsoever. Uh, We are expanding. We are expanding. Our guest list is going to continue to grow. As I announced yesterday, uh, Charlie on Fear of the Walking Dead, Alexa, is coming up as a guest. Hopefully sometime uh, very soon. We should get a confirmation very soon on which date uh, she's able, that she's not shooting, not working, so she can be on with us. And we have a whole host of guests lined up. Uh, just waiting on final confirmations that are not or have anything to do with The Walking Dead. So just letting you guys know, we're expanding, we're bringing in uh, everything and talking about news related to the entire horror entertainment genre. So get ready for that. Little Phil writes, I am excited for that. And so are we. It's always great to broaden your horizons and uh, I'm just really looking forward to it. Want to welcome Stephen Garza, who's just joined us on YouTube. Welcome, Stephen. All right. I think this is our final article for the night. And this is something that we've already discussed. It's about Norman Reedus shares the first details of a new project based on a cult classic. He is going to be producing... Um, Let me just read this to you. This is a movie from way back, Sorority House Massacre. It was a great movie, and they're redoing it. They're bringing it back to life, and Norman Reedus is going to be uh, producing it. Norman Reedus will continue on as Daryl Dixon in the new Walking Dead spinoff, but the breakout star has already lined up a new role behind the camera. The AMC star has revealed some tantalizing insight into his upcoming remake of the slasher staple Sorority House Massacre. And speaking of horror and uh, all the different genres, the sub-genres within the horror genre, slasher movies are like what has kind of fallen to the wayside. You know, back in the 80s and 90s, You had the big, you know, Michael Myers, Jason, or Freddy Krueger. Slasher movies were huge, especially kids going off to camp 
and counselors and stupid you know camp counselors everybody loved watching them get massacred by the big bad uh, boogeyman they're trying to sort of make their way back i don't know if we have any american horror story fans here tonight but last season's american horror story which was called american horror story 1984 was you know paying tribute to the early 80s slasher movies of the camp counselors uh getting slaughtered but of course with the american horror story twist which is always phenomenal 1984 american horror story this just this last season that aired i not one of my favorite seasons of american horror story i think by far uh this is not just my opinion but it's shared by a lot of people the the biggest and best season of American Horror Story is Asylum, which is season two. That was great. But there have been great other great ones as well. I loved the premiere uh, season of AHS, of AHS, American Horror Story, which was Murder House. And then, of course, you know, you had Coven, uh, and so many more. It's an anthology show. Every season, you it's a totally different story, but they keep bringing back the majority of the cast from at least the previous season. Uh, maybe I didn't like 1984 because uh, Sarah Paulson wasn't in it. She's a huge reason as to what made that show so amazing. And to have her missing from it last season, you definitely felt it. You felt it. Uh, there was a big hole uh, in the show. And just going back to the slasher, camp counselor, I don't know. just didn't really do it for me. CC Weezy writes, when will we talk horror movies? Because I want to talk about that Michael Abbott Jr. movie that he told us about with Xander Berkeley and Gregory called The Dark and the Wicked it is. Did you watch it, CC Wheezy? I want to watch it. I haven't watched it yet. So I'm, I'm going to watch it very soon, and then we can talk about it. <laughs> I don't want it spoiled for me. Uh, I believe it was coming out November 6th, so it should be available... And I believe it was coming out on Amazon Prime. So thank you for reminding me. I, I did put that on my list and I do want to watch it. Uh, Xander Berkeley, who played Gregory from Hilltop of The Walking Dead is in it. Of course, Michael, Michael Abbott Jr., who played Isaac in the season six premiere of Fear the Walking Dead. He's the one that saved Morgan. And we, he only lasted one episode. He saved Morgan, brought him back to his pregnant wife. And then he ended up dying, but not before saving Morgan's life by removing the bullet fragments in his shoulder. Uh, sorry. Yeah, in his shoulder. That's where pretty much he was shot. So I definitely am going to watch that. And it's called The Dark and the Wicked. And I'm all about that. And I may even watch it tonight. We'll see. Thank you so much, CC, for reminding me. Want to welcome Sonic, who's just joined us. Uh, Khaleesi writes, it is very good. Good, good. I'm going to try to watch it tonight. I'm definitely going to try to watch it tonight. Anyway, 
Continuing, continuing on with Sorority House Massacre, Daryl Dixon has played a central role on The Walking Dead since the very first season. Now the flagship series is coming to an end. Reedus is keeping busy by lining up some exciting new projects with his own company, which is called Big Bald Head Productions. So if you guys are ever wondering how Norman Reedus got his Instagram username, there you go. Big Bald Head is in reference to his production company. Despite appearing on screen in over 120 episodes of the post-apocalyptic TV thriller, The Walking Dead will be taking charge. Uh, They left out a word there. The Walking Dead actor will be taking charge behind the camera for his new series. His uh, latest undertaking is reportedly a television remake of the 1985 cult slasher movie Sorority House Massacre. Following on the coattails of similar horror classics, such as John Carpenter's influential Halloween, that's an understatement, the original film received unfavorable reviews upon its initial release. Since its release on home video and various streaming services, the picture has since attracted a reasonable following among slasher fans. The revived interest in the film also benefited from a renewed appreciation for independent trailblazer Roger Corman, who served as the producer for Sorority House Massacre. In true slasher fashion, the 1980s gore fest featured a group of scantily clad students being preyed upon a vengeful serial killer who has an eerie connection with one of the victims. And it really is a good movie. And it's funny how when movies are initially released, yeah, they may be tossed to the side, underrated, but it just really goes to show you that over time, history, history is what really picks out what the great movies are and which ones are worth forgetting about. Reedus has enlisted the help of Robert Schwartzman and his production company Utopia Originals for what could be a more measured update on the sleazy original. Yep, they used the word sleazy. The star recently released a statement which read, I cannot be more excited to collaborate with Robert and his incredible team at Utopia on this project. Utopia is already committed to the distribution of filmmaker-centric new series, including both narrative and documentary documentary projects. Norman Reedus's Sorority House remake will set the tone of, Sh- of Schwartzman's new venture as the first series released under the Utopia label. Now, they keep calling it a series, Sorority House Massacre was a movie, so I'm a little confused. Are they going to turn a movie into a TV show, or is it going to be a movie? They're not really clear on how that's going to play out. Either way, we just got to wait and find out. Let's see. Let's welcome Este Bianco, who's just uh, waving at us on Instagram. Uh, uh, Sick Bar is also with us. So, welcome to all you guys. Uh, Let's get on with today's topic. 
I want to welcome Sonic on YouTube. Today we are going to be talking about Carol's curse. And man, is that woman cursed. She is cursed on The Walking Dead, especially when it comes to children. Carol is one of the remaining survivors of the original group, one of two. She is the uh, one of the most lethal characters in the series, but this wasn't always the case. If you all remember when we first met her in the first season of The Walking Dead, she was a far, far cry from the Carol that we know today. Little did she know that the death uh, that seems to follow her whenever she got close to someone, whether it was a friend, a love interest, uh, or a mother figure to a child, you could say that Carol's curse began with Ed's death, even though she definitely didn't see it as a curse at the time. When walkers attacked the camp and Carol made sure he didn't reanimate by obliterating his head with a pickaxe, Carol slowly begins to empower herself and is fiercely protective over her daughter, Sophia. Carol slowly to begins to empower herself, uh, it is very subtle. Remember, they made it all the way to season three of The Walking Dead, and they really did not know what to do with her character. There was some serious contemplation going on on whether they should kill the character of Carol off The Walking Dead. Luckily, they did not. Uh, season two, a herd of walkers caught the group on the highway by surprise. Sophia ended up running away Rick chased after her. He puts her in a safe spot, but when they go back, she's gone. Nobody knows where she is, and that's pretty much the whole plot of the first half of season two of The Walking Dead. Later, Glenn found out that the barn uh, right next to Herschel on Herschel's farm is full of walkers that Herschel is protecting because he doesn't realize that they're dead. He just thinks they're sick. Uh, it wasn't until Shane went all apeshit on him, uh, busted it open, and of course, Sophia walked out as a walker. Carol was devastated, to put it lightly, and it was Rick. It was Rick who stood up. No one else did it. He took the lead, and he shoots Sophia, dead Sophia, reanimated Sophia in the head, and puts her down. Ed and Sophia's deaths hardened Carol, and she gained a level of independence she never had before. She began to stand up for herself while strengthening her bonds with the group. Unfortunately, early in the third season, T-Dog becomes a victim of Carol's curse, and we are going to be calling it a curse just for the pure purpose of this topic, when he sacrificed his life to save her at the prison after they were overrun by walkers. You guys remember T-Dog was bit, and he knew his time was up, but he was determined to get Carol to safety no matter what. Later on, as the group settle in the prison, Carol starts to loosen up, and they share, you know, the, occur the occasional banter between her and Daryl. Uh, you know, you could see her, you know, teasing him when he starts rubbing her back and all that other stuff, she basically starts having a lot of fun with Daryl. And just after they hit it off with one of the prisoners, which was Axel, and we thought there might be something brewing with Axel and maybe Carol, 
of course, as they are talking in the courtyard of the prison, they are talking one second, a second later, Axel is shot and his brains are on Carol's face. Now, in season four, Carol becomes the reluctant guardian to Lizzie and Mika. And we all know how that turned out. They lost their father when he was bitten by one of the uh, residents during the flu outbreak. Uh, the girl's father's dying request was for Carol to promise she would look after his daughters. <clears throat> Excuse me. Carol begins to bond with the two sisters, but when she discovers Lizzie killed Mika in order to turn her into a walker, Carol is faced with an unthinkable decision that she had to make. So she has to kill Lizzie. Tyrese was not going to do it. It was not in Tyrese's uh, DNA to do that. Hell, I don't know if anybody could do it. Rick could have done it. Rick would have done it. He would have done it. Uh, but, you know, Carol is, is very similar to Rick in a lot of ways. She steps up and does what nobody else could do at the time. This is, of course, the infamous as uh, the blue uh, the blue bike just says on YouTube, which has joined us, welcome the look at the flowers scene. Now, moving on, season five, after the group arrives at Alexandria and begin to make it their home, Carol takes on the persona of little Miss Homemaker, exchanging recipes, putting on the act that, you know, without a man, there's no way she could be protected, she doesn't know how to look after herself, bakes cookies, because she knows how to blend in in an environment as uh, Alexandria. The beginning of Alexandria, when we were first introduced to Alexandria, and just how completely naive the residents of Alexandria were. The only two exceptions you might put on that list are Aaron and Eric, because they were the ones that ventured outside the walls, uh, not only for scavenging, but also scouting for new possible residents to bring back to Alexandria. That's how Rick and the gang end up there. Uh, Sam does become attached to Carol, primarily for her cookies. Sam is Jesse's young son. Uh, you know, he, Carol threatens Sam to uh, be silent. Uh you know, because he overhears some stuff, and to pay him off, what does she do? She makes some cookies. And that's just the kind of relationship her and Sam had. Later on, it's revealed that Sam is also trying to obtain a gun, and that we see Carol understanding what Sam has been going through, and that is that he's living with an abusive father, and Carol knows all too well what kind of household that is. Pete, Jesse's husband is abusing her, Jesse, it's abusing his children, Ron and Sam. Uh, Carol's curse strikes again when a walker herd overruns Alexandria, and of course Sam is devoured, along with his mother Jesse, and his brother Ron, of course, blames Rick, because it was Rick, Rick is the one that had to kill his father, Pete. Rick is about to shoot Rick. Luckily, Michonne is right there next to him. Michonne stabs uh, Ron. But guess what? In the zombie apocalypse, 
it's poor Carl that it ends up taking the bullet right in the eye. Luckily, it doesn't kill him then, but he does lose his eye. Uh, now, Carol also, during her time at Alexandria, becomes close to Tobin. You guys remember Tobin? The two of them eventually struck up a very, very short-term relationship, though it's clear that Carol is unable to truly commit when she decides to leave Alexandria towards the end of Season 6. Uh, if you all remember, this is uh, after Rick's group killed the saviors at the outpost with, uh, did not sit well with Carol. Uh, that's the deal that Rick made with Gregory in order to get supplies from Hilltop because Alexandria was, they were, they were dangerously low on food. You could say they were on the brink of starving themselves to death. So, but along, they discover Jesus. Jesus shows them Hilltop. Hilltop is plentiful in growing their own crops. In exchange for getting a lot of food from Hilltop, Rick makes the worst decision of his life, and that is to go in and kill this unknown group of people that call themselves the Saviors in the middle of the night while they sleep. Not Rick's finest moments. Uh, anyway, going on to Season 8, it's clear that Carol has returned to help the saviors. She does still care for Tobin. Unfortunately, Tobin becomes a victim of the to of the tainted weapon attack that Negan, Negan thought of, but it was Simon that actually went through with the plan. And this is, you know, you guys remember the scene, the, the sequence of events. Negan thought of the idea to infect their weapons, their arrows with walker blood. So even if you shot an arrow at someone and it wasn't a fatal shot, just that shot, whether they got it in the arm, leg, wherever, they were going to get infected, die in turn. And Negan was hoping that would turn into a zombie outbreak at Hilltop. Though it wasn't Negan that carried out that plan. It was Simon because Simon... Uh, whether you want to say Simon was wishing Negan was dead, but he presumed Negan was dead. This was, was when Rick ran into him with the car. The two had a big scuffle. Negan does go disappear for the hilltop takeover. He goes in there with one purpose. He goes there with the sole purpose of killing everyone at hilltop. And he fails. And Negan, of course, is not dead. He comes back. And we know how that turns out between Simon and Negan. Now let's talk about Carol and Benjamin. Carol first meets Benjamin in Season 7 after her arrival at the kingdom. Remember, Benjamin is Henry's older brother. Uh, although it is implied that Benjamin has been set up by Ezekiel to keep a check on her, and as she is determined to go out on her own again, it's obviously it's obvious Benjamin does start and he does admire Carol. So to make a long story short, we know what happens. Benjamin ends up bleeding out when he is shot by Jared. Uh, that puts little young Henry on a revenge path. Uh, he does, I guess, get... You could say he does get his revenge. He doesn't directly, he doesn't kill Jared, but he kills Gavin. 
at the end of All Out War. But right after that, it is Ezekiel and Carol who end up adopting young Henry. And continuing on with the Curse of Carol, it's still ongoing, guys. It's like her tragedies never seem to end. And it continues on with Henry. And what happened to poor young Henry in season 9 at the famous Kingdom Day Massacre uh, Fair, where we lost uh, like 10 plus people, all beheaded by Alpha, and Carol, Daryl, Sadiq, and several other people discover their heads on the spikes. And that's just how cruel Alpha is. Anyway, guys, we are out of time for tonight. Uh, This hour seems to go by quicker and quicker every night. Thank you so much for joining me. Please visit our website at deadtalklive.com. See our featured episodes. See all of our upcoming and prior guests, guests. Visit our YouTube channel's name, which is now called Dead Talk Live. Please go ahead and subscribe if you have yet to do so. I'll be back on the air again tomorrow night. Uh, Stay safe. And until tomorrow night, guys, remember, always stay walking.